Please do take out your Bible and turn to the book of Luke. We'll be turning to Luke chapter 7 together this evening. I once heard the story of a a master builder who had been commissioned to build one of England's great cathedrals. And as he drew up his plans, he set them aside for a time, and he went to visit a nearby quarry to find just the right stones for that cathedral's foundations and for its pillars and for its buttresses and for its spires. And as he wandered about in that quarry, his eye fell upon a certain stone. And he picked up that stone and he took his hammer and he started to just rain down blows upon that stone. And if that stone had had a voice, I'm sure it would have cried out in pain. And I'm sure the builder would have said to it, it's okay, just bear with me for a moment. I need to shape you. I need to shape you to fit into this work of art that I'm building, that I'm building for the glory of our God. If that stone would just endure the pain, if it would just endure for a short time, it would see that the builder's plan is good. If it would just be patient, it would see that the pain is accomplishing something wonderful. And sure enough, when that cathedral was finally finished, that stone had been carefully placed right there within the walls. And through the ages, it bore bore witness to to the skill, to the wisdom of that builder. And in much that way, God is building something wonderful in this world. God's creating this masterpiece that showcases his genius, that someday will cause every knee to bow, that will cause every tongue to confess his name. And just as that builder carefully fits each stone into his building, God is very carefully fitting each one of us into his plan. God prepares us for the work he calls us, each of us specifically to do. Some he prepares by giving them great riches. Some he prepares by giving them rare talents. Some he prepares by giving them high positions. Some he prepares by giving them deep sorrows. Whatever our God gives, it falls to us to accept it and to receive it and to steward it faithfully. It falls to us, whatever he gives, to trust the builder, to trust in his plan, to humbly, willingly accept the role that he has assigned to each one of us. I've been asked this evening to speak on suffering and sorrow, which means I'm to speak to those of you, those of us, who have felt the blow of the hammer who know the pain of being fitted to a a difficult calling. I've been asked to speak on the one ambition we're to have in our sorrow, which is to be faithful to Christ and fully reliant upon his word. And I presume I've been asked to speak on this because I and my family have felt the blow 
of the hammer. And we've had to trust very much in the plan of the builder. We've had to trust through the very sudden and very unexpected death of my wonderful son, Nick, who was taken to heaven very, very suddenly just about two years ago. Nick was a loyal son, and he was a loving brother, and he was a committed fiancé, and he was a, a dear friend, a dear friend to me and to many others. He was studying theology, he was at seminary, he was preparing to be a pastor. Life was going well for Nick. And then in a moment, the Lord just called him home. Our lives were interrupted and our hearts were broken. And yet even in our sorrow, we knew that God was calling us to something. Even with broken hearts, we knew that somehow God was fitting us into that building, fitting us into the cathedral, that, that we knew somehow there was, there was meaning, there was purpose in our pain. And uh, just candidly, this is my first conference address, my first talk since that day, and it's my first time speaking on this subject. I honestly don't really know what to expect. I'm, I'm not the man I was before. Not the man I was a couple of years ago. I'm still learning about who I am now and what I'm capable of, but I do think the Lord has given me a text to consider and a, a message to preach, so I'll just ask you to bear with me and pray for me, and we'll look at God's Word together. And my goal here is not so much to, to tell you that Scripture is, is good and necessary and sufficient for our sorrows, but I'd like to, to demonstrate it for you. And I'd like to do that by looking at a story from the life of Jesus. And so if you turn to Luke chapter 7, we'll begin in verse 11. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, I'll be reading from the ESV translation. Soon afterward, he, that is, Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. What I'd like us to see this evening, three things. Death is strong. God is stronger, death will die. Or to put it as a sentence, death is strong, but God is stronger, so death will die. This little narrative begins as Jesus is arriving at the town of Nain, and so we should picture Jesus and his disciples and this great crowd of people that's coming with him, ascending a long road that leads to Nain, a little town upon a hill. And as Jesus draws near to the gate of the town, Luke says, a man who had died was being carried out. So as Jesus approaches and attempts to go in, 
a group of people is streaming out, a group of people who are mourning and weeping. They're lamenting the loss of one of their own. In a time and uh, in a climate like this one, the dead need to be very, buried very quickly. And so this man has probably died that very day or during the night. And already, already it's time to lay him to rest. And so he's being carried out of the town upon a bier, a kind of platform, stretcher. So we wonder, who is this man? And Luke tells us, he tells us in what I think is one of the saddest, most tragic verses you'll find in the whole Bible, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So the head of this crowd is a woman. And we learn that this is not her first time leading a procession from the town to the tombs, because at some point in the past, she's lost her husband as well. And now grief has followed grief. First her beloved husband, now her only son. Death is powerful. Death has twice now in her life exercised its power and it's left her bereaved and brokenhearted. When she suffered the loss of her husband, it was her son who became the head of the family, her son who was now given the responsibility of caring for her, of meeting her needs, and now he too is gone. So what's left for her? Who will care for her? Who will make sure that her needs are met? And then what about the community around her? How will these people regard her now that she's suffered two great tragedies? Will they assume that she's a sinner and she's fallen under God's judgment? Will, will her own set of Job's friends come to her and, and sit with her and weep with her and then begin to accuse her? She must be tempted to think back to Naomi and like her to say, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. Well, this is the scene that Jesus sees as he approaches the town of Nain. And what does he do? Jesus goes wading right into it. He goes walking right into the sorrow, right into the grief, right into the pain. Isn't that just like our God? To go right into the midst of humanity's suffering, pain, sadness. Verse 13 says, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Do not weep. Jesus sees her, and he has compassion. It doesn't say he feels compassion, though I'm sure he does. He has compassion. The compassion involves feelings, but also action. And so he walks up to this woman, and he speaks, and he says, Do not weep. You need to imagine that for a second. Jesus approaches this woman who's at the single most worst moment of her life, going through the most difficult trial she's ever faced. And Jesus walks up to her and he says, do not weep. Can you imagine? It was just a couple of years ago that we had to lay my, my dear son to rest and several of his friends took hold of his coffin and they stumbled their way through a, a cemetery toward this hole that had been dug in the ground there. And clinging to my arm was my wife, a woman who had lost her only son. Nothing would have been more shocking, 
Nothing would have been more heartless. Nothing would have been more out of place than for a stranger to come walking up to her in that moment to look her in the eye and say, do not weep. Do not weep. This is real. This is real. My, my family circle has been broken and my, my hopes have been dashed and my heart has been shattered. How can you tell me not to weep? Of course, I'm going to weep. These could have been very cruel words, but there's a difference between words Jesus speaks and words the rest of us speak. Jesus can follow these words with action. Jesus can do something to turn this woman's mourning into laughter, to, to loose her sackcloth and to clothe her with joy. We'll see what he does in, in just a moment, but first I want to consider this. Aren't you thankful that our God is compassionate? Aren't you thankful that our God promises he is close to the brokenhearted, that he saves those who are crushed in spirit? Aren't you thankful, he says, he will not break a bruised reed. He will not snuff out a smoldering wick. Aren't you thankful that just as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him? He knows our frame. He remembers. We're just dust, little creatures of the dust. Maybe it's been your experience, too, that our God draws very close to us in our sorrows. So close to us. My daughter, Abby, was a student at the very same school as Nick, and she was present when her brother died. She saw him fall to the ground. She saw his friends try to resuscitate him. She was the one the doctor came to and said, do you want to call your parents, or shall I? She came home after the memorial service, and she stayed with us through the Christmas break, and then it was time for her to go back to school. She chose to go back to school. And as she set out, I said to her, Abby, you only ever need to say, Daddy, I need you. I'll be on my way. By the time you finish saying that sentence, Daddy, I need you, you'll hear the door slam, you'll hear the car start, you'll hear the tire screech, I'll be on my way to you. Because that's what it is to be a father. It's what any father does. You respond to your children when they cry out when they need you. Just like that, our God draws very, very close in our sorrows. God's compassion draws him near to us when we cry for his help. Our God is most present just when he's most needed. He's present by his word. He's present by his spirit. He's present by his people. And in this story, he's present by his son. We've seen that death is strong. Let's see that God is stronger. Verse 14. Then Jesus came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. So he reaches out his hand and he touches that platform that that man is being carried upon. Jesus didn't do things haphazardly, and Luke didn't record details that weren't important. So why does he record that. Why does it matter that Jesus touches the platform? Well, the beer, the, the platform is associated with death, and so to touch it is to become immediately unclean. Yet Jesus touches it and remains undefiled. So 
So we're left with the question, who could touch death yet be untouched by death? Who could come into such close proximity with death and still be unaffected by it? That's a hint that something's going on here. Jesus speaks again. He speaks and he says, young man, I say to you, arise. Have you ever seen a a corpse, a, a dead body? I'm sure most of us have at one time or another. We've seen one of our friends or one of our family members laid in a casket and we've stood there and we've gazed at their mortal remains. But I doubt any of us have ever looked intently at that body and said, I say to you, arise. I mean, we've, we've wanted to. We've longed to see color come back to their cheeks and, and warmth come back to their bodies. We've longed to see them sit up and speak out, but we know our words would have been utterly futile. We may as well command the sun to set at noonday. We may as well command the earth to reverse its orbit. We could command all day and we could plead all night. And we could cut ourselves till we're bleeding like the prophets of Baal, but nothing would happen. We are powerless over death. But what about Jesus? Jesus looked at that man. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. See what Jesus does here? Jesus goes toe-to-toe with death, and he shows who's the master. Jesus stares death in the face, and he shows he has superiority even over death. When Jesus commands, all must obey. When Jesus orders, none can resist. When Jesus speaks, even the dead hear, even the dead heed his voice. I love how Luke describes this. He says, the dead man sat up and began to speak. It's not the young man this time, it's the dead man. And Luke knew as well as we do that dead men do not sit up. And dead men do not speak. Dead men don't do anything because they can't do anything. And yet, this dead man this formerly dead man, he sits up and he speaks. Because the words of Jesus have power. The words of Jesus have all the power of Almighty God. This dead man can no more disobey than creation could disobey when God said, let there be light. This dead man can no more remain still than the great deeps could remain still when God summoned them forth to flood the earth. This dead man can no more remain still than history will remain still when God commands the trumpet to sound. When God speaks, there's no power and no force and no angel and no demon, no woman, no man. No one can resist his will, not even a dead man. The world was created with a word. History will end with a word. Satan will be cast down with a word. Our loved ones will be raised up With a word, death is overcome with just a word. Death may be strong, but God is stronger. And hear this. What Jesus did to this man who was physically dead, he's done to those of us who were spiritually dead. 
Because without Christ, we were dead in our sin. We were as dead in our souls as this man was in his body. But God spoke. God spoke through the gospel, and he enabled us to hear. Praise God that the word he spoke was living and powerful. Praise God that the word he spoke was sharper than any two-edged sword. Praise God that it pierced to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. Praise God that his words stirred our dead souls to life. God has that power. Praise God that he has power over dead bodies and he's got power over dead souls. So I ask what our good friend Steve asked just a few minutes ago. Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Have you believed that he is the savior of the world, that he's the savior of your soul? I've enjoyed chatting with some of the younger people here this weekend. I've tried to meet as many of you as I can. I want to ask you, have you believed in Jesus? And if not, then I just want to urge you, trust in him. Put your faith in him today. You know, my neck thought he had years ahead of him. And he was doing all, all the right stuff. He, he was studying, preparing for a lifetime of ministry. He had just gotten engaged, preparing for a lifetime of marriage. He was making all these plans for the future, plans to come up back to Canada and start a church and be a pastor there. And then in a moment, all those plans were canceled And he was in heaven, just 20 years old. No medical condition. He didn't take anything. Nobody did anything to him. There was no accident. The Lord just stopped his heart and took him to heaven. Just like that. But what if he had delayed? What if he had said, I've got lots of time. I've got lots of time ahead. I'll I'll worry about my soul later on would have been too late. So my young friend, don't, don't delay. There's no day like today, and, and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So if Jesus said to that young man lying on that platform, he said, young man, I say to you, arise. He's saying the same to you tonight, but he's speaking to your soul, not to your body. Turn to Christ. Listen, obey. Put your faith in him. Jesus said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. What a glorious moment. Can you, can you picture it in your mind's eye? Can you hear the shouts and the screams and the surprise and the praises to God? God has done something miraculous. God has demonstrated that even though death is strong, he is stronger and it's not even close. This is an elephant against a mouse. This is a a mountain against an anthill. This is a rocket launcher against a slingshot. Death has power, but only the power God permits death to have, and only for as long as God permits death to have it. We've seen that death is strong. We've seen that God is stronger. I just want to show you one more thing, which is Death will die. In our sorrows, we're just, we're just desperate for something to cling to. 
desperate for something to, to anchor us and to stabilize us when our world has just been completely rocked. And where else could we go but to the Bible? What else could you turn to that's inerrant and infallible, that's trustworthy and sufficient, that's proven and reliable, that's precious and good, that's perfect and sure and right and pure and clean and true, that's more precious than gold and that's sweeter than honey? What else is the very word of God to us? So the Bible is exactly what we need. It's exactly what we need in our sorrows. We need to turn to it and believe in it and cling to it and rely on it and continue to obey it. And as we do that, as we turn to Scripture and just mine it for its truths, we'll find it assures us not only that God has power over death, but also that someday there will be an end to death. And with it, an end to all the sorrow that's caused by death. We see in this passage that we've, we've read this little story of this widow in, in Nain. We see in this passage this wonderful little demonstration of how the Bible guides us, not just in its isolated stories, but in its magnificent whole. And it demonstrates to us that we best understand the Bible when we read a little passage like this one in light of this great big story that's being told all the way from Genesis through to Revelation. So to show that, I want to pause on a little line we could very easily overlook. Verse 15. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. This line is a key that unlocks just some beautiful treasures for us. Why is that? Because this line is not just a description, it's also a quotation. This line is drawn verbatim from the book of 1 Kings and from the tale of another widow who lost her son. So you read 1 Kings, you you read of the great prophet Elijah who goes to the city of Zarephath and there's a widow there who cares for him and feeds him and looks after him. And then tragically, her son gets sick and his condition worsens and he dies. And what happens? Elijah takes that child, he takes him to an upper room and he, he stretches himself out upon that child three times and he cries out to the Lord. He pleads with the Lord for the life of this child. And here's what it says. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and gave him to his mother. And so Luke here is doing something intentional. He's drawing a line from Jesus all the way back to Elijah. He's being sure we know, sure we understand, there's a connection here. So he's taking this brief story from the life of Jesus, this brief, true story from the life of Jesus, and he's setting it in the sweep, the sweep of redemptive history. He's, he's locating it for us as a part of God's unfolding purposes 
in this world. He's, he's ensuring we know these are not two isolated stories. These are two chapters of the same story. Also, we know the story is progressing. We're not reading it backwards here. The story is progressing. And we know that, for example, by the fact that Elijah can only do miracles by pleading and praying to God. Jesus does miracles through his own power. Or Elijah has to to cry out to God for help. God, please help this child. Jesus simply speaks a word. God's plan is advancing. We can miss this connection, but the people seem to understand what's happening here because they're seized with fear and they glorify God and they say, a great prophet has arisen among us. There is a great prophet, Elijah, a great prophet, a new great prophet has arisen among us. They understand there's another prophet like Elijah there in their midst. They understand even there's a greater prophet than Elijah there in their midst. And looking back, we now understand, well, this is the one to whom Elijah's been pointing all along. Elijah was never the point. He was pointing us to this one. And so the story draws connections from the past to the present, from what God has done to what he is doing in in this unfolding of his master plan. But it also draws connections from the present to the future, from what God is doing in this moment to what he will do. So the people cry out, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. They understand God is visiting his people. In this moment, God is visiting his people. And we know, just as he was visiting his people, he once again will visit his people in the day of his return. So surely through the resurrection of this young man, we're meant to see the resurrection of all those who have fallen asleep in the Lord. Just think about this. See in this young man, this little picture of you and me opening our eyes. And what do we see? We see the face of Jesus Christ, the one who saved us from death. That young man opened his eyes and he saw Jesus, just like we will. Here in this story then, here's every widow, not just this one widow. Here's every widow having her sorrows soothed by the Lord himself. Here is every broken-hearted mother receiving back from Jesus the child she had to surrender to the arms of Jesus. Here is every grief being comforted. Here is every wrong being made right. The one who defeated death in, in this man's life, he'll defeat death once and for all. Death itself will be crushed to death. Death will die. And so we read the Bible best when we read it backward and forward. When we read any story in the context of the whole thing, we're Christians of a complete Bible, not a partial Bible. We're Christians of two entire Testaments, not just a few isolated verses here and there. So in your sorrows, turn to the Word, the whole Word of God. God will speak His comfort to your soul. You'll, you'll find it sufficient to guide you and to comfort you and to give you meaning and submission and hope and endurance and perseverance. 
As you read the word of God, you'll see not only that 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 master building is, is building and accomplishing something beautiful in this world, you also begin to see how he's fitting you into it. How he's shaping you to fit you into his plan. You'll begin to understand that God is doing this not apart from your pains, your sorrows, your griefs, but actually through them. You'll even come to see the ultimate goal in your sorrows is not to get out from under them, but to remain faithful in them. Not many here have lost both a husband and an only son, though perhaps some have. Not many here have experienced exactly what this woman experienced. Not many have endured exactly what she endured. But all of us have and all of us will endure sorrow, suffering, grief, loss. There's, unfortunately, there's no path through this life that doesn't at times lead through pain and lead through grief and lead through bereavement. So as we wrap up, I just want us to consider this. How long was the gap between when Jesus said to that woman, do not weep, and when he said, young man, arise. How long was that stretch of time? Just a few moments. Just a very few moments between speaking his comfort and restoring her joy. And what I want us to consider is, is there really that much more time between God's words of comfort to us today and the time when he'll fully, completely restore our joy. And I can ask that because we, we believe, we're certain that we have an eternity stretching out before us, just endless ages in God's perfect presence. So when we keep that in mind, how long is this stretch of time between our moment of grief and our moment of comfort. When the Apostle Paul considered his pains and afflictions, and, and make no mistake, these were deep pains, terrible afflictions, he said they were light and momentary. Imagine that. And Paul's words only make sense if he knew that what awaited him was heavy and long, if it was glorious and eternal. So what Paul was doing was he was drawing hope from the future. He was, by faith, he was just reaching into the boundless storehouses of heaven, and he was grabbing these great handfuls of joy and hope and, and drawing them into the present, drawing them into his life. In, in the present, in the moment, his, his pains were weighty. They were momentous. They were terrible. But he was convinced that Compared to the future, they were light and momentary. So don't you see how long eternity must be and how great the glory to come must be, that it would make even those great sorrows just, just pale by comparison. We need to do that too. There will come a day when we'll look back on the pains we've endured, even great pains, even true deep sorrows, 
and we will judge them light and momentary as we just bask in the glory of God forever and ever. A few days ago, I got an email from a gentleman who's now well into his 90s. He told me that he lost his beloved son 70 years ago. That seems like a long time. It's a lifetime. And he just wrote to say he knows that his time is almost here. He knows a reunion is imminent. So close, he can almost feel his son's arms. He can almost hear his voice welcoming him home. Let me ask. When he's been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, how long will that time seem between the moment of his grief and the moment of his joy? When that dear old man sees God's plan completed and he sees God's purposes perfected, do you think he'll grumble and say, God, you just asked too much of me. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. When he he worships in God's presence age after endless age in the beauty of all that God has stored up for us in heaven, do you think he'll claim, God, those 70 years Those were just too hard. They were just too long. Of course he won't. Of course not. Look, our pains still hurt. Persecutions still torment. Our our trials still agonize. We still weep. We still weep with the pain of it all. But by setting them against the backdrop of heaven, we can say, we can believe light and momentary because the gap between the moment of our greatest sorrow and the moment of our greatest joy will really prove to be just the briefest of moments just like it was for that stone that was being fitted into the cathedral just like it was for that woman who's grieving the loss of her only son so until then My friends, bear your pains well. Receive them humbly. Steward them faithfully. Believe that God means for you to have them, that they come ultimately in some way by his sovereign hand. Receive those sorrows and then just turn them outward. Turn them outward into love for God and service to his people and the God who has entrusted them to you as something very meaningful, something very precious. He will grant you his grace to bear them well, to bear them faithfully to the end. Death may be strong today and along with it, grieving, sorrow, pain, but we know, we believe our God is infinitely stronger. We see that our God is infinitely stronger, and soon enough, when his plans and purposes are complete, death itself will finally be put to death, and we will live with God. We will reign with him. We will stand in awe of him, and we'll stand in awe of this masterpiece, this divine builder, has made. We'll praise his name 
we will say, you have done all things well. Let me pray. Father, we know that it is your plan. It is your will that we pass through these times of, of grief. Yet we know that even in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We know that if we're in the valley, it's because you've been leading us there. Do you mean to take us to what's beyond, to your table, where we will enjoy you forever and ever? Father, we pray that we would be faithful in our sorrows. We pray that we would steward them well. We pray that we would bear them well to the end. And we would long for the day when we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.